it's so great to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I serve with students at our West Chicago campus. And I'm Emily, I serve with our kids team at our West Chicago campus. Hannah, have you recovered from CareFest last week? If I'm being really honest, it's probably the hardest physical labor I've ever done at CareFest. <laughs> um, I know, I usually end up at a school and I wash windows for like 30 minutes and then I play Foursquare with the kids that I'm with. This Lucky year, look. a little different, a little different. I dug like foot deep holes, like probably about this big around for small pine trees that we planted and the soil was like rocks. So wow. needless to say, I'm a little sore, but it looked beautiful whenever <laughs> we were done with it, which was great. So are you recovered? Yeah, I don't feel like it was actually hard at all. The dads at our site did like all the heavy lifting. So I was just like pushing mulch around. It yeah. was, it was fantastic. That sounds amazing. So. Sunday, this last Sunday was CareFest, and so Josh talked about another opportunity to get involved over the summer, whether it's with a Puente team or a serve opportunity with our church or neighborhood Bible clubs. So Emily, you are like the queen of neighborhood Bible clubs. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about it? <laughs> <laughs> neighborhood Bible club is a three-day Bible club that you host in your yard for a few families in your neighborhood. So our Kids Life team and I, we're working hard to prepare materials and support to make it super simple for families to host a club. We really hope that this offers a chance for reconnection with friends and neighbors this summer. That's awesome. And I know this isn't your first rodeo before, so what's been one of your favorite memories from MBC over the few years? Oh, that's hard. Okay. One of my favorites is when we, I was at a neighborhood Bible club that was being hosted at an apartment complex by some families in our church, and a lot of the kiddos had never heard about Jesus before, but they were singing the Bible verse songs, and they were singing truths about Jesus, and I just like remember looking around the circle of adults that were there, and like everyone had teared up because they were like, this is, this is why we do NBC, <sighs> like for kids to know about Jesus, yeah. and it was, it was beautiful. That's so beautiful. It's super fun. Like yeah. Water Day and all of those. Oh, like, all but great this things. is like, that's what gets me pumped mm -hmm. about NBC. Totally. To get more information or sign up to be a host, you can go to wheatonbible.org slash volunteer to get more details, or you can always see me or one of our Kids Life team around. That's awesome. Thank you, Emily. And lastly, I just want to give you all one more reminder about all the events coming up for our senior pastor search this week. So Tuesday and Thursday, there are going to be town hall meetings to interact with the elders and search committee. Wednesday, we have an all church prayer night to seek God through this transition. And then next Sunday, there's a member vote to confirm the elders nominee, Pastor Hannibal Rodriguez, as our next senior pastor. You can get all these details and register for the events at wheatonbible.org slash senior pastor. That's all for today. Thank you for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Bye, see ya. And good morning, church. Welcome to worship here in the room. I'm gonna ask you to stand with us. And if you are joining us online, welcome. We're glad you are with us. If it's your first time visiting us, uh, we're glad you, you came and our, we, we pray that you meet the Lord, that Jesus would meet you where you are. If you're watching us online, we pray the same for you. And we want to say Happy Mother's Day to all you moms here in the room and also online. We pray you have an amazing day. We pray that Jesus would encounter you and meet you where you are today. We pray a blessing over your life today. And now let's look to the Lord. Let's look to Him and lift up the name of Jesus. Let's lift our eyes to Him I look to you, O Lord, of my salvation, the one who gives me strength. Let's sing this together. We need no other hiding place 
been saved within your name. And this we know, this we know. You promise never to forsake. What you begin, you will sustain. And this we know, this we know. Broken every 
Him there is fullness, there is freedom, there is joy. So we raise a new song. Let's sing together. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a
to the King of Kings. He is alive and death is defeated. And because he lives, we will also live with him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You are our hope. you but there has been many times in my life in which the information that I have in my head and information that I have about God the things that I believe about God in my head are not enough there has been so many different times in my life in which I'm convinced that I truly believe what I believe that God is good and powerful and sovereign and present that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I believe that in my head, with all my head. But not necessarily, I feel it in my heart. How about if I tell you that in order for us to continue to grow, 
We, we need both the intellect engaged and our affections engaged. How about if I tell you that in order for us to grow in our understanding of the love of God, you need everything in your head to be involved, but your emotions involved as well. That our affections feel who the Lord is and how much He loves us. It is because we are wired that way. It is because the Lord designed us that way. One of the reasons why we celebrate communion, you see? I could tell you that the Lord loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son to die for you. And you believe it up here. But you need to taste it, see it, and feel it in here. And this is exactly the reason why we participate in communion. If you ever wonder how much the Lord loves you, you got to think about what the Lord Jesus did for you. But you must taste and see what he was willing to do for you to the point that you feel it in here. I want to invite you, if you are a believer, this celebration is for you. Don't just hear that the Lord loves you. See it, taste it, feel it. It is when our intellect is engaged and our emotions are engaged that we have a real experience of the love of God. Now, when you came in, you grab one of these little cups, and if you are at home, participating in communion with us at home. I'm going to ask you to please remove the top cover of your cup. Now, the Bible calls us to, be, to before participate to examine our hearts. So if there's anything that you are holding in your heart, if there's anything that you need to surrender today, if you need to ask for forgiveness or if you need to accept the forgiveness, this is the time to do it. So I'm going to ask you to just hold there your cup for a second and allow the Spirit to speak to your soul. And once again, if there's anything that you need to surrender, if you are a Christian, this is for you. Please do that. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Covered of your cup. And the scripture tells us that in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. 
Lord, we thank you. Because when we participate in communion, Lord, we know that you are present in a special way. The Bible makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Lord, that we have fellowship with you. And even though, Lord, we don't, we don't quite understand that really well, we know that when we gather as believers and we take the bread and we drink the grape juice, Lord, not only we get to remember the magnitude of your love, our Lord Jesus Christ dying at the cross, giving up himself, surrendering himself, exercising sacrificial love for us. But at communion, we get to see it. And we get to taste it. And we get to feel. May the Holy Spirit grab these elements that went into our system and give us a greater understanding of the magnitude of your love. And what it means to be loved with sacrificial love. Please make it happen. Please make that real. So we love you with all of our mind, with all of our thoughts, with all of our hearts, with all of our emotions, with all of our affections. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. And the church, the church says, can you please stand? Let's continue worshiping the Lord. We promise that one day he will return and we will have this meal with him. So whatever you're going through, wherever you are, declare these words to your soul. Bring it to him. Let's say. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints. My gaze runs fixed on Jesus' face.
is the Lamb to receive honor and blessing and power and dominion and glory forever and ever and ever. And the church says, Amen. Amen, church. You may be seated. Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God. And so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons, yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, for where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day. I love seeing how central motherhood is in God's story and how often as mothers, we might feel unseen, but God sees us and uses us for his kingdom purposes. And we do his kingdom work. As mothers, we have a high and holy calling, a role of eternal impact and significance. It may not be glamorous, but it is glorious. We reflect the glory and love of our self-giving God as we lay down our lives to give life. 
Yet like thorns to a rose, the curse has made this often a painful and difficult experience. Motherhood can be very hard. As a mother of four, I have never been more aware of my own limitations, weakness, selfishness, and sin. Yet I am so grateful that I have never been more dependent on his spirit, his word, his grace. This is an impossible task, and we can only mother in the strength he provides and seek to be faithful for the joy of seeing him reach our children through us and for the joy of having more of Jesus. Isaiah 40, 10 to 11 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So whether you are a weak mother, a lonely mother, a tired mother, a single mother, a spiritual mother, a mother who has experienced loss, or you long to be a mother, may you trust that Jesus holds, loves, leads, and cares for you. May we find our everything in Jesus, that future generations may see him in us and know him. In this labor, he cares for us. He cares for our children more than anyone else could.
Isn't that a beautiful song? Yeah. I think that song was the sermon. I'm going to try to do my best here. So good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, whether you're worshiping here or you're worshiping with us at home, we want to welcome you and happy Mother's Day for those of you that are great-grandmothers grandmothers, biological mothers, and or spiritual mothers, I want you to know that we know that you guys are life givers, nurturers, healers, and unconditional 
lovers, and we are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful that we get to see you in action. We are so grateful that you are part of our lives. We are extremely grateful that God gave you to us. And therefore, we all want to give you a round of applause. All right. So a nice applause means nothing if you don't get a gift by the people that love you. So at the end of the service, if you don't have a gift yet, you're supposed to get one. If you don't get one, please let us know. We will take care of that, like, really quick. It is because we are celebrating Mother's Day that I actually have a question for us to answer. Why is it that motherly, motherly love is such a unique love? That's the question that I'm trying to answer today. There's something special about the, the way a mother loves that is different to everything else. It's different to sentimental love. It's different to romantic love. It's different, actually, to the, to the love that a father has for a child. It's different to friendship love. It's not better love, but it's different. It's unique. So and so, that one of the ways God explains to us his love is by explaining how, the, how a mother loves a child. So to do that, we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 49, verses 13 to 16. Um, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word, a sign of reverence to him and his word. And if you're still here, please say, I'm still here. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 13 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And then the Lord responds in verse 15, Can a mother forget a baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Lord, we pray that you speak to us today. As we celebrate Mother's Day, Lord, that we may see why is it that that love is so special. That we may see why is it that we need that love and what is the source of that love and what that love points us to. We want our mothers to be honored today. But we also want to honor the God of our mothers. So please speak to us. May the Holy Spirit may be with us. In the name of Jesus we pray. And the church says, Amen. you may take a seat. Today we're going to talk about three things then. We're going to talk about the need of motherly love, the source of motherly love, and the price of motherly love. Look at the first point, the need of motherly love. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context on the book of Isaiah, just in case you're not familiar with the book. But the book of Isaiah is all prophecies, and those prophecies are divided into three different sections. The first section goes from Isaiah chapter 1 all the way to chapter 39, and there God is confronting his people because they have this tendency to find security outside of him. 
And what he wants to do is to bring them back and to give them rest. The second section of the book of Isaiah is where we actually find the text we just read. It goes from chapter 40 all the way to chapter 55. And God is promising restoration, healing, relief, and hope. And he's speaking to a group of suffering people that are living in exile. It is actually in this section when we find all the promises about, the, about Jesus. Everything that God says that he was going to accomplish through Jesus and in Jesus. And the last section of the book of Isaiah goes from 50, chapter 56 to 66. 56 to 66. And it applies to all believers at all times. The reason why I wanted to explain that is because, once again, the text we just read comes right in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus is going, was going to bring. So, this is struggling people, living in exile, being oppressed, being victims of oppression. They got to a point of desperation. In the midst of this desperation, God paints this picture. He gives them this vision in verse 13. And he talks about joy, and he talks about heaven rejoicing. And he says that the earth would actually burst into singing. The earth in itself would be um, uh, claiming, proclaiming worships, worship to God. And he says that the reason why the Lord promises this is because God is a God of comfort and a God of compassion. Now let's just stop there for a second because this is a vision similar to something that we find in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. This verse, verse 13, is the promise of what Jesus is going to bring at his second coming. This is the promise that one day both nature and humanity will experience complete freedom, no more slavery, no more corruption, no more pain, no more sin, no more groaning, complete restoration of all things. Heaven and earth will experience joy and shout for joy. Both heaven and earth will sing and experience peace, joy, healing, and complete, uh, and complete shalom. That would be the best word to describe it. This is God speaking to a bunch of suffering people and saying, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggle, you have to see beyond what you see. You have to experience something beyond what you see. This is God basically telling all these suffering people, suffering has an expiration date. See it, believe it, and embrace it. Now, the key words in the text that are, at least for me, are extremely important are the word comfort and compassion. Because those two words actually explain why is it that the Lord is promising this thing and he's going to bring this thing with Jesus. And the text tells us that the reason why God promises that and will accomplish that is because he's a God that gives comfort. The word comfort in the original is actually to feel sorry. And the idea here is that God is painting a picture of himself that tells us that he feels to a certain degree what we feel. That he sees us in our pain and our struggle, and he's moved by it. He paints a picture of this God that, is, that exercises or extends both sympathy and empathy. 
You know the difference between those two, right? Sympathy is when it says that you under, someone understands you the way you are and with the things you experience. And empathy is that that person feels what you feel. And God says that he's so attached to his people that not only he understands you, but he feels you. And the word compassion there is the word love. Listen up, church. Not just any kind of love. It's not just a romantic love or sentimental love, an emotional love. It's not the kind of love that comes and goes whenever you have issues. It's not the kind of love that is convenient and it only shows up when things are going right. The kind of love that God has is a compassionate love. It's a love that comes from within. And God says, the reason why I want to give you that, whatever is coming, is because I love you from within. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase that has been used so many different times, but it says something like, I love you so much that it hurts. That's kind of the idea here. But what I want you to see is that God is giving them something to embrace up here in their head. It's theological information. It's biblical, it's biblical foundation. It's doctrine. It's beliefs up here. But during communion, I said something because I wanted to prepare us for this right here. Is that many times information is not enough. At least to change. You know how I know that? And I've used this before, but we all know that fast food is going to kill you. The TV says it. The wrapping paper says, if you eat this, you will die. It tells you. It tells you. And yet, fast food is delicious. Because sometimes information is not enough. We need our emotions to be engaged. We need our affections to be engaged. God knows that. And this is actually what these people are experiencing. They know that God is good. They know that God is powerful. They know that God is sovereign and he's got plans. They know that he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And yet, this is what they feel in verse 14. Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem of God's people, said to the Lord, you have forsaken us. You have forgotten us. You forgave us. You forsake us. What I find amazing about this text, though, is that God does not correct that thinking. Because God knows that we need to process our emotions. God also understands that theology is not enough. That theology must transfer to our hearts. God knows that emotions are important. You know what I find interesting in modern culture? is that we tend to ignore our emotions. Modern culture, actually, modern culture actually tells you, don't be emotional, people. You know what group of people actually say that the most? I'm not emotional. You know who says that? Men. <laughs> you know what I find ridiculous about that, people? 
is that I've seen you, how you behave when your favorite team either wins or loses. That's an emotional behavior. Actually, three weeks ago, I went to watch the, the Chicago Fire, soccer team here in Chicago, just in case you don't know. Um, and, and, and you know, in the stadium, I'm full of people, I'm full of men. All those men are super emotional. You should see, oh, oh, ah, oh, oh, all the time. <laughs> and then they go home and say, I'm not emotional. Really? <laughs> see, God knows that we need to process what we feel. See, culture tells you, these two shall pass. We say to one another, just ignore it, suck it up. But that's not what the Bible says. Actually, let me read to you what Dan Allender and Tremper Longman says about these emotions. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Your emotions are the cry of your soul. Your emotions are a window into your heart. Your emotions point to you what you truly love, what makes you upset, what you truly hate, what breaks your heart. God knows that. God knows that you need the intellect and you need existential transformation. So this is what he's going to do with these suffering people. This is what he's going to do with a bunch of people that even though they know God up here, they're not feeling anything in here. He gives them this vision of what motherly love looks like. Something that actually women, some women at least, have experienced. And look at the beginning of verse 15, the metaphor God uses. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? I want, ladies, if you are a mother, I want you to stop there for a second and see that the God of the universe wants you to feel so honored that he says that he, he actually describes himself as a nursing mother. This is God saying to all of us suffering people, if you really want to experience my love, if you really want to understand how much I care for you, if you really want to know who I am, pay attention to the love of a nursing mother. That's a crazy statement, people. And it's a rhetorical question. It's what I will call a theological metaphor. It's a rhetorical question because the obvious answer is, can a mother ever forget the child? Can a mother not exercise compassion to her child? And the answer is, of course not. It is unnatural for a mom to forget her child. Of course not. And this is what God says. If you really want to understand how attached I am to my people, 
if you really want to understand and know and feel how much I am bound to you in the midst of your pain and struggle, see and learn from a nursing mother. This is why one of the scholars actually puts it this way, and I found it super interesting. He says, the attachment of a mother and a child is direct and almost mystical. In other words, it's hard to understand it. And this is the point of the text. God says that if you're suffering and if you are in pain, or if you will suffer and you will be in pain, we all need that kind of motherly love. We all need it. We all need this kind of motherly love. So the question, of course, is, well, how does that look like? And this takes me to point number two, the source of motherly love. This is the interesting thing. Everything in creation, everything that is beautiful, everything that is perfect, everything that brings joy and produces delight, everything that is worth living for, everything beautiful in creation always comes from God and points to God. Everything in creation. Let me say that again. Everything that is worth living for comes from God and points to God. So when we think of a nursing, a nursing mother, we have to know that the reason why a mother loves that way was because she was created by God and that love points to God. So there are three things that we can learn from a nursing mother. Now watch here because this was amazing to me when I was learning and studying this thing. Number one, a nursing mother could never forget the child. That's a fact. Biologically speaking, the woman possesses a hormone that produces milk that reminds her that she needs to feed the baby. I think that the hormone is called prolactin. If I didn't pronounce it right, don't matter. There is this hormone that reminds the baby, ooh, I have a person to take care of. I have been told, obviously not by personal experience, but I have been told that the breast hurts when she needs to feed the baby. She cannot forget. Ain't that crazy? And God says, to these very people that are saying, you have forgotten about us. God says to these people, how could I forever forget you if my heart and my nature does not allow me to forget you? If our nursing mother cannot forget her child, what makes you think that I'm going to forget you? That is for suffering people. Number two, a nursing, a, nursing mother could, um, a nursing mother delights in providing for her baby. Check this out. There's another hormone that allows the mother to experience social bonding when she's feeding the baby. Now, I'm going to try with this one because this one was harder. I made a mistake on the first one, so let's see if it works. Oxytocin. Was that right? It doesn't matter. 
It's the point. Look, I get a clap for that one. Come on, people. And, he's, and it's amazing because he tells you when, they, when, the, when the mother is feeding the baby, she actually, after the pain, of course, and after the bleeding, because that's a, rea- a reality, but she, she experiences joy. And actually, I've seen this time and time again in, in my own personal life with the people that surround me and the people that I have passed her. Well, not necessarily, but I've seen their faces. And there's something unique about a mother as she's feeding the baby and how she looks at that baby. Do you remember what God's people told him? You have, you have forsaken us. And God says, just like a nursing mother could never walk away from that baby, I could never walk away from you. It is my delight to provide for you. It is my joy to provide for you. It is my joy to have you with me. It is God talking to suffering people. And number three, a nursing mother loves unconditionally. You know how I know that? Actually, this one is easier to understand. You know that in that relationship between a mother and a child, at least at the beginning, there's only one party giving. And the other one is just receiving. There is, there's no exchange of goods. There's no I meet you halfway. There's no I give you a little bit of milk, but then you behave. There's nothing I give you some and you give me some. Actually, for the first month, it's just the mother giving and giving and giving. For the first months, the baby, the only thing the baby does is eat and eat and cry and do number two and eat some more. (laughs) And yet, I'm yet to find a mother that says, that's enough. (laughs) I can't give you anymore. Yeah, I find it super interesting because, you know, babies smile within the first two, three months. And usually the mother goes crazy about that. And actually the phrase is, look it, she's smiling at me. I'm sure that the baby is not smiling at you. (laughs) She's learning how to smile. That's just a practice. And yet, the mom continues to give. Do you remember what God's people told God? This is basically what he said. You're not giving us what we need. And God responds, just like a nursing mother always gives and loves unconditionally, I love you unconditionally. That is God speaking to suffering people. This is the reason why this scholar calls this union this mystical attachment. Now, why would God use this metaphor to explain his love? Well, to give us an understanding that his love is even greater, more powerful, more perfect, more secure, more reliable, more profound than the love of a mother. And that in itself is crazy because he paints this picture of this um, out of this world love. And then he says, my love is greater than that. For you suffering people. 
How do I know that? That's what he says in the second part of verse 15. Though she may forget, because that could happen, I will not forget you. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I really don't know if you're a Christian or not. I don't know if you are living for Christ or not. I don't know what you did last night or you did this morning. I really don't know. What I do know is that if you belong to him, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if God is your God, God loves you more than what a mother could love his child or her child. He loves you more because his love is greater. His love is even more perfect. His love is even more powerful. His love is even more secure. His love is, his love is even more reliable. His love is even more profound. God says, even if a mother works, walks away from you, I cannot walk away from you. It doesn't matter what you have done or you're doing. It doesn't matter what you have, where you have been or you are today. It doesn't matter how much you have or how much little you have. It doesn't matter if you see yourself as the worst of sinners or if you think that you are unworthy of God. It doesn't matter if you have it all or you have nothing. If you belong to God, he does not walk away from you. Do you believe that? Even if a mother walks away from you, he can't. This is the reason why in verse 16 he says, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. And your walls are always ever before me. You know the word engraved? It's not painted. The word literally in the original means that you have been cut or carved into a hard surface. Meaning that the love for God, the love of God for you is permanent. And he's visible. Permanent and visible. Even when you can feel him. And the beauty of this is that God paints this picture to help us feel him. Not just know him, but experience him. You know, right at the end, he says that we are always before him. You know that the only person in the universe that can actually say that is God. Listen, I think that I have been blessed with an amazing mother. She's about this big. <laughs> and it, it's amazing. I think that my mother fits the description of this text. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, listen, my mom fought for me when the rest of the family said, told her that she should have got rid of me. She fought for that one. You know, my mother defended me. My mother protected me at all costs. She literally sacrificed everything for my siblings and I. She's an example of what it means to have covenant love. But as good as my mom is, listen, my mom will beat you up if you talk wrong about me. <laughs> she will turn into the female version of Karate Kid, for sure. And yet... My mom cannot say, you would always be before me. Actually, I have a couple of stories. When I was six months old, she says, 
that she put me in the bed next to her. She turned around, and when she comes back, I was gone. That's because I believe I could fly. <laughs> no, something happened, and I fell between the wall and the bed, and I got wrapped up in these blankets. And when she's looking for me, she can't see anything because I went all the way under the bed. And that proved my point. She could never, she could never say, you're always going to be before me. She couldn't hold me. You know, this is also true for my wife and I with our daughters. We did exactly the same thing. We go on vacation. We put our first daughter between us. We put her there. We turn around, and boom, she disappeared. I look underneath the chair, and she is full of sand. And I pick her up, and I laugh a little because it was super funny. <laughs> and then clean her up. And then my wife can never say, you would always be before me. Only God can say that. That's how the love of God is greater than the love of a mother. Do you know what is the best thing that my mom did for me? She pointed me to that greater love. The best thing that you could do as a mother for your children, as a grandmother for your grandchildren, as a great-grandmother for your great-grandchildren, is to point them to the greater love. See, so far we have talked about the need of motherly love, the source of motherly love, and lastly, we got to talk about the price of motherly love. Let me show you this verse again, verse 16. God says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. You remember how I told you that this section of the book of Isaiah was pointing to Jesus? And how this section in the book of Isaiah, it's all about Jesus, prophecies about Jesus. If you have been with us for a while, if you remember when we're preaching through John chapter 20, you might remember something similar to this. Do you remember when Jesus went to Thomas and said, put your finger here in my hand and stop doubting and believe? Do you know why is it that John chapter 20 uses almost the same phrase that we, have, that we find here in Isaiah chapter 49? Because the Bible wants us to make a connection. If you want to see the palm of God, you got to see the palm of Jesus. If you want to see the love of God, you got to see the love of Jesus. It is in the palm of Jesus where we see engraved the magnitude of his love. That's why he went to the cross. It is in the palm of Jesus where we see engraved what he was willing to do for us, covenant love. It is in the palm of Jesus where we see engraved the consequences of my sin, the consequences of my sin in the palms of Jesus. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see engraved that God is truly God, a truly God of comfort and a truly God of love. Look at what he was willing to do for you. It is in the palms of Jesus, where we see engraved that because Jesus' death and resurrection and what he did on our, and because of what he did on our behalf, we are never forgotten and never forsaken. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see engraved your name and my name. He died for us. It is in the palms of Jesus where we see the price of a motherly love. Because when he went to the cross, 
He was forsaken so we wouldn't. He was forgotten so we wouldn't. He was punished so we wouldn't. None of us can actually say we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Look up here. None of us can ever say if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ that you are ever forsaken, ever forgotten, ever. See it in the palms of Jesus. And all that to suffering people. So today we are grateful for great-grandmothers. We are grateful for grandmothers. We are grateful for biological mothers. We are grateful for spiritual mothers. We are grateful because you are life givers, nurturers, healers, and unconditional lovers. But as Christians, we are even more grateful for all of those mothers that point us to the greater life giver, to the greater nurturer, to the greater healer, to the greater unconditional lover, Jesus Christ. So whenever you think of the love of your mother, remember that that love points to a greater love. That that sacrifice points to a greater sacrifice. Amen? Amen. Now, there's a tradition in the church, uh, we have done it for years now, that is on Mother's Day, we actually... Um, celebrate family dedication. And I want to explain it uh, before we do it. And it's almost like an application of what that means. Um, See, as a church, we believe that our kids are not just important to us, but they're important to God. Amen? Our our kids are not just the future of the church. Our kids are part of our church. They are members of our church and official members of our church. See, as a church, we believe that when we became Christians, God made promises not just to us, but to our kids. This is the reason why the book of Acts in two different places says that you and your household will be saved. This doesn't mean that the kids of a Christian uh, family are already Christians, but what it means is that God has, um, has uh, placed some special promises upon our kids And as parents, we trust and pray for those promises. This is the reason why the Bible shows you that it's the parents, the ones that bring their kids to Jesus. So what we're doing today as we celebrate family dedication, we're doing kind of something like that. And here we have a group of families that I'm going to ask to please come to the front. Um, If you can, and if you can survive with the little ones. Um, This is a group of families that actually have believed the things that I just said. And I'm going to ask Jeannie also to come to the front. If you guys could please stand here in the middle somewhere. Thank you so much. How about if we give them a round of applause? (laughs) Please. All right. So today then, we have these beautiful families. And I'm going to ask uh, Jeannie, which is, let me see if I get this right, family life director. Good? She got upset the first service because I said it wrong. Um, she's going to present the families um, because, because for us, every single one of these families is extremely important to us. All right? Please go ahead. Okay. So first, I'd like to introduce you to the Carlos family. We have Tanya and Julio's, Julio's? Julio's. 
and they are dedicating Dylan, Jace, Dylan's right here, Dylan is eight, and Ethan Gavin James, who is one. So they have chosen for Dylan, Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, let little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then for Ethan, they have chosen Psalm 127, 3. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. May God bless you guys as you treasure your, your boys and help to raise them to follow Jesus. So next we have Tim and Sarah Gemmel. And Tim and Sarah are dedicating Andrew James. So Andrew James here is 10 months old, big guy, lots of hair. Love that. Um, and Isaac, big brother, is with him. Are you seeing the pictures up there, Isaac? Yeah? Well, for, for Andrew, they have chosen Psalm 8, 1 and 2. Love our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glories in the heaven. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. May God bless you guys as you raise your boys to love and praise the Lord. And then we have Oleg and Natalia Crisco, and they are dedicating Ella, who was one yesterday. Nice. So Ella is here with her big brother, Dennis. Are you going to help Ella know Jesus? Yeah, that's a big job, but I think you can do it. They have chosen Colossians 1, 9, and 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. May God bless you guys as you raise your kids to just know and love Jesus. And last but not least, we have Josh and Melanie Simmerman, and they are dedicating both girls, Alethea Ann, who is three, and Constance Marie, who is one. Both smiles. <laughs> so for Alethea, they have chosen John 18, 37. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And for Constance, they have chosen James 1:17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. May God bless you guys as you raise your girls. <laughs> to know and testify to the truth wherever you guys go. Amen. Hannah, Can you do me a favor? Can you guys move to the front a little bit more? I'm going to ask the congregation to please stand. And we're going to stretch our hands to the front. Because when we present our babies, we are saying that these babies belong to them, but they also belong to us as a family of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray for these beautiful families. Lord, we are so thankful. For the blessing that you give us, Lord, to see how you are working in and through our families. We are so grateful, Lord, that we get to see how the kingdom continues to grow, not just because we are evangelizing, but because we're having a lot of kids. We are grateful for that. I'm grateful, Lord, for the Carlos family, for the Gamel family, Chris Cruz family, and Zimmerman families. 
I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you bless them, protect them, guard them, and give them wisdom to raise their kids for the glory of your name, the joy of other people, and for more and more people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I want to pray. I want to bring before you these kids, these beautiful children. Lord, I pray that you raise them up to be soldiers for Jesus. People that love you with all their mind, hearts, and souls. People that are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ and live for the cause of Christ. I pray for your blessing and your protection upon them. Please be with them. Please be in them. Please continue to work through them. And we all say, and we all pray this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, about it, we give a round of applause again. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you, thank you.
The Lord, the, the Lord loves you. His love for you is permanent and it's always visible. May the Lord bless you. May He be with you. Thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent. Have a blessed day.